Man, it is good to see both of you guys here today. Thanks for joining us. For the hundreds and thousands joining us online, we're glad that you're with us as well. Uh, no, we love it. Thanks for all of you who are joining us in person. For those of you who are watching online, we love you. Excited about what God is doing as well. So thanks for being here. We're, uh, I'm excited about excited what we're doing today. Uh, this is one of the most important kind of message series that we're going to do at Heritage Church. And uh, it really sums up the heart of why we do what we do at this church. And we're excited about that. And uh, so I'm, I'm thankful that you're a part of it, whether you're joining us online, whether you're here with us in the room as well. So thanks for putting up with the, uh, the wussies who decided to cancel church last week. Uh, let's just be honest. Uh, it was my call. I made the decision. I was like, man, we're getting all these. We have people who are sick. We have the snow. I've started to realize that the fastest way to stop a winter storm is just cancel service. Uh, and so, yeah, that is pretty much the goal. So thanks for being with us. This is kind of our first uh, Sunday of the year, but it doesn't feel like that just as yet. So uh, we're excited that you're with us today. Um, we get an opportunity this morning uh, to kind of talk about something that's really near and dear to my heart, but it's also important because it's, it's about who we are as a church. And to illustrate a little bit of that, we have a great opportunity this morning uh, to talk about God's heart for the lost and what it means to reach the lost and to never stop pursuing that. Uh, that's one of the things that we love to do here at Heritage Church, but also to support and encourage and empower people here and around the world who are doing that same thing. And so this morning, we have a really unique opportunity with us. Uh, in fact, I'm gonna invite uh, Flavio to come on up and the whole family if you guys want. I mean, if you wanna stay, you can stay. If you don't wanna be there, yeah, it's your call, your call. Hey, uh, maybe you guys may know Flavio. Flavio's a good friend of mine. He's also uh, leads what's called the Timothy Center. It's a, one of our outreach partners and they specialize in helping plant churches all over Brazil, and they've got some really unique opportunities that God's opened their door, opened the doors for them to actually start going into some of the indigenous tribes throughout Brazil that have not heard the gospel, uh, and they have got some inroads into those things. And uh, every uh, year for a handful of months, how many months this year? Five? Five more months, uh, Flavio's leaving tomorrow uh, and is going to be in Brazil for the next five months. Flavio and his family attend here at Heritage Church. And so while he's away, um, his family's going to be here. And so we want to continue to pray for them, support them, and encourage them. Uh, but we have a really unique opportunity. He's leaving tomorrow, and I just wanted us to pray for him as a church. Because of your generosity, we're able to support them as a family and for them to do incredible ministry, uh, not just here in our area, but also around the world. So would you join me, whether you're online, whether you're in the room, and just kind of, if you feel comfortable, just kind of throw a hand this way, direct your prayers as we pray for these guys today. God, I, I thank you so much for what you're doing and that you're already at work here and around the world. You just invite us into that. And so, God, I thank you so much for Flavio and his heart to serve. And, God, all of the pastors, the churches, the leaders, uh, his family, who has decided that this is what their life is going to be about, is furthering God's kingdom, uh, in particular in Brazil. And, Lord, there are so many things that they are facing, whether it's economy, whether it's COVID, uh, it is hindering ministry. And so, Lord, I pray that you would break through in supernatural ways. And Lord, I pray that you would protect Flavio as he travels, Lord, and protect his team as he spends these next few months. Be with his family, Lord, and help bridge that gap of distance, Lord. I pray that you would let them know that they are loved and appreciated. And so, God, we pray for your anointing to be upon them and their families as they set out on these next few months, continuing to build your kingdom together. What a joy it is for us as a church to support them and to encourage them. And so we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, can we honor these guys this morning? We love it. If you want to learn a little bit more 
about what God is doing through the Timothy Center and through Flavio. He'll be available right outside our doors after service uh, to be able to keep that conversation going. Find out ways that you can pray for them. Uh, if God's leading you to help support them, there's great opportunities to be able to do that as well. So uh, thanks for being a part of that. Uh, the reason this is really important is because every single person in this room, uh, whether you're watching online, every person that you live next to that is across the street from you, every person that you work alongside, even the person that you walk that you don't know, but you walk past them in the grocery store, every single one of those people have a story. And every story has a name, and every name matters to God. And that should matter to us as a church. And your story, my story, their story, every person that you're ever going to come across is filled with ups and downs. There's some really great seasons of their life that they want to do over again. Then there's some really bad seasons and choices that they wish they could have a do-over again. Every single person that has ever walked the face of this earth has a story. And that story is filled with all kinds of questions, all kinds of mistakes, all kinds of experiences. And every single one of those stories, those moments, were designed to point us back to our Creator. In fact, every single thing that has happened from the beginning of creation until now in your life, in the life of your friends, in the life of your partners, in the life of your children, in the life of your neighbors, in the life of your coworkers, every single thing that has ever happened in their life and in yours was designed to reconnect us back to God, right? And here's what I hope you understand throughout the course of these next few weeks together. God's heart for his creation is unmatched, right? God's desire to reach those who are far from him is unrelenting. And it's this concept that's kind of the background for what we're going to be talking about over the next couple of weeks and what we're going to begin today. And here's, here's kind of my prayer, that, that you, that we as a church, that even if this is maybe your first time or first time in a while, that you begin to discover or maybe even rediscover God's design for his church and God's desire for us as followers of Christ. And so if you happen to bring a Bible, I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 28, Matthew's the first book of the New Testament. We're going to get there in just a second. We're going to look at a couple of different places in the Bible throughout the course of this morning, but we're going to start in Matthew chapter 28. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the seat in front of you. You can follow along. Words will be on the screen. If you're watching us online, the words will come up there in just a second as well. You see, all throughout the Bible, we see this heart of God start to unfold from the very beginning of creation. In fact, our creation story begins with God's heart for the lost, his desire to be in connection with all creation. And it culminates with the arrival of Jesus into this earth. That's what we celebrated just a few weeks ago across all of our campuses as we celebrate the story of Christmas. What we often miss, though, is that Jesus would spend the rest of his life on this earth modeling for you and I what our purpose was supposed to be, that Jesus would spend his entire time on this earth chasing after the lost. And if that wasn't enough, in the book of Acts, we're going to look at it in just a minute, it was out of God's heart for creation, his design to be connected to people, and Jesus's model to reach the lost that the church was actually born. And it was built on this foundation to never stop pursuing the one that is lost. In fact, Heritage Church was birthed with this mission, that we exist to help people find and follow God. But here's what I want you to understand, because in a world where we love to kind of market things and capitalize on phrases, 
this mission to be the kind of church that helps people find and follow God, it's not just a scriptural sticky idea. It's actually just scripture. It is the Bible itself. In fact, in Matthew 28, this is what we're going to read this morning. Jesus shares with his people, with the disciples, what's known as the Great Commission. And he shares with all of his followers, hey, I want you to go. I want you to take my life and the message that I have brought, that I have been sent by God to connect people back to God, that no one is too far gone. I want you to go, and I want you to go make disciples, not just in your neighborhoods. I want you to take this message around the world, and I want you to go and make disciples. And he said it this way in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. I'm going to read it to us. It says, then Jesus came to them, right? He's talking to his disciples. He's saying, hey, these are the followers of God, those who claim to be followers of Christ, right? Hey, given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, here's what I want you to understand. Jesus is not commanding us to go and find disciples who were already disciples and learn how to grow them into more knowledgeable disciples. He's saying, no, listen, I want you to be a people and a place that goes and finds others and helps them to follow God, right? This was the commandment. This was the commission that launched the church. And so as we get a few chapters later into the New Testament, we get to the book of Acts, and we're going to see it in just a minute. The church was launched with this idea that you are supposed to help people find and follow God. This is a part of the DNA if you are going to call yourself a follower of Christ. And if you're going to be a church that tries to stay in step with who God is and what God wants, then you need to be a place that helps connect people with God and each other, learn how to grow in their faith, but ultimately it should translate into you as a follower of Christ living a life that is different, living a life that is on mission, Right here, don't miss this. The end result of all discipleship, right? This is why Jesus was talking to Christians. This is why we're going to see in a little bit later that Jesus was talking to those who are self-proclaimed righteous. Here's what it is. The end result of all discipleship is to be more like Christ. All right, let me say that again. The end result of all discipleship is to be more like Christ. Not to know more about Christ, but to be more like Christ. And here's what I want you to see. That will always lead into you having a greater awareness and heart for the lost. In fact, I would go so far as to say, if your heart isn't burdened for the lost, you're not near the kind of disciple you may think you are. Jesus says it really clearly. Discipleship should lead into life change in you and life change in others, right? This was how the, the heart of God was put on display from the very beginning of creation. You see, when God created you and me and all of mankind, he did so with the desire to be in relationship with all of us. And so then when we walked away from that relationship, right, when we chose our own path and we began to live a life that was contrary to, to God's design for us, it puts this distance between us and God. And so from that very first sin until today, God has been trying to get our attention. 
to remind us of his love for us, to remind us of his purpose for us, his plan for us. And so all throughout history, God would speak through kings and prophets, miracles and moments in an effort to get our attention. And it would culminate with Jesus arriving into humanity to say, hey, listen, I'm going to come and I'm going to breathe that bridge that reconciles you back to God. But make no mistake, all of it was God's way of pursuing the one that was lost. And so as you follow the life of Jesus, right, God started creation with this model, this heart that says, this is everything I'm going to do is about reconciling those who are far from me back to me. Jesus comes along and says, I'm going to continue on what God did. I'm going to show you, I'm going to model for you what it looks like to pursue that which is lost. And so as you follow the life and the ministry of Jesus, you see this over and over again. But I don't think it's any clearer than in a chapter in Luke where we start to see this come to fold, where Jesus says, hey, let me explain to you how important this is so that there's no confusion, so that there's no mistaking that this is God's design and God's people. And so in Luke chapter 15, Jesus not only shows us how important it is for us to pursue the one that is lost, but he even shows us why, right? And so Jesus begins and he starts to tell these stories. But here's what I want you to understand. When Jesus starts to tell these stories in Luke chapter 15, he's surrounded by church people. He's surrounded by tax collectors and sinners. In other words, what Jesus was doing was saying, hey, I got a mixed audience here. So I'm going to make sure I'm speaking to everyone. This isn't just for one person. This is for everyone that is listening. And so in Luke chapter 15, he begins to share three parables in a row, three stories, three illustrations, right? And here's just a Bible reading tip. Whenever you see something repeated in scripture, you should go, oh, well, that must be important, right? Someone took the time to say it twice. Anytime you see the word therefore, you should go, what is it? Therefore, right? And you go back and you start to see some of these things, right? Here's what I want you to see. Anytime it's repeated, we understand that's important, right? I do that. I communicate on a regular basis. And there's times where I'll say, hey, listen to me, right? Now I'll say it. Now let me say that one more time, right? I'm repeating it. I want it to be important. Jesus is about to repeat something three times. Three times. The same truth communicated in three different stories, The reason he's doing this is because this is extremely important to God's heart. And so that's what Jesus does in Luke chapter 15. He has this group of people standing around him, Christians, church people, self-proclaimed righteous people, sinners, tax collectors. And Jesus comes together and he says, hey, listen, let me tell you a story about God's heart. And he starts with a story about the lost sheep. And he says this. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. Look what he says next. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Right Here's the genius of Jesus. He's telling the person that is lost, that is sitting in that crowd, that they are worth being found. But here's what he's doing. He's also reminding the 99 
Those who are already convinced, those who already have a relationship with God, who maybe it's not as vibrant as it once was, but there is an understanding that they would say, I, I call myself a follower of God. He's also reminding the 99 that it's worth it to risk and go and find the lost. And so then he goes right into another story. And he tells this story about a lost coin. And he says this. He says, suppose a woman had 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. Look what he says again. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Right now, here's the thing. When Jesus is telling this story to the crowd, they understand the context, right? What Jesus is not saying is, hey, listen, there was this lady who lost some change like in the cushion of her couch, right? And she started to go on a search, right? Because we know that's where you look when all things go lost, right? The other day I was digging for our remote and instead I found a bunch of fruit snacks. They were still delicious, but I was able to go, how did these even get here, right? How many of you ever flipped over the coins and you're like, oh, there it is, right? You find coins, you find whatever it is. Jesus is understanding the context and everyone listening in this room would know Jesus isn't talking about a coin that falls between the cushions. In fact, most historians, most theologians would say that what Jesus was referring to when he talks about these 10 silver coins was more of like a dowry. Have you ever seen the pictures where it would have almost like a necklace around the head, like a headband filled with coins? In Jesus's day, that was a really common thing where a woman would use that as her dowry. The family would save up, they would put it together and they would have these coins, they would present it to the families. And so what Jesus is talking about in this situation is, is her future, Right? Her, her potential, her, her value as a potential wife. It was really important. And so what she lost, she had to find because it was significant. So here's the genius of Jesus. He's showing the one that is lost how valuable they are. That even one person that is lost is worth tearing the house apart for. He's letting the person in the crowd who doesn't feel like they have much to offer or doesn't feel like they're of much significance. He's saying, hey, let me just tell you God's heart for you. You are so worth it. You're so worth it. You have more value than you ever could comprehend. But he's telling the 99, it's worth tearing the house apart to find that which is lost. Don't forget that. And so then he jumps right into this final story. In fact, it's become one of the most well-known stories in all of the Bible. And it's about God's heart for all of us. He continues right out of that. He says, let me just tell you about the lost sheep. Let me tell you about the, the lost coin. And then he goes right into the story. We know it as the story of the prodigal son. And I want to read this entire story to us. And I get it. Maybe you've been around church for a while and you're already thinking, hang on, Pastor Handsome. I already know this story. Like, I got it. I've heard this so many times. Like, I, you can skip through this. I've heard the story of the prodigal son over and over again. And listen to me, I understand that. I really do. But I wonder if that's part of our problem in the church. I wonder if the things of God have become really familiar to us. If you're anything like me, we can quote God's heart a lot quicker than we can live it out. And so here, here's what I want to do. Sometimes it's really helpful to go back 
to reread some things that maybe you've heard for a long time. Maybe you grew up in church. Maybe you remember flannel graphs and people sticking pictures on a wall and you're like, I've heard this story so much. Maybe it's good to go back and to listen to it again and say, God, would you speak to us in new ways? But also be reminded that when you come to this church, there are some that are here today that are hearing this story for the very first time. And so I want to read this one more time, and I want us to listen to it from that perspective. It says Jesus continued, right? He just told the story about the lost sheep, told the story about the parable of the lost coin. So it says Jesus continued. He said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, and he set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. And so he went and he hired himself out as a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. And so he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and he kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But listen to this. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. This is the grand finale of his conversation between tax collectors, sinners, and self-proclaimed saints. And Jesus says, here's what I want to do. I want to, I want to clearly describe God's heart for all of you that are listening. God never stops chasing after us. God never stops searching the horizon for us because we are never too far gone. We are never too far lost for God. And this is important for us to understand at a fundamental level as God's creation. Forget about the design of the church. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But as a created being by the almighty God, your heart, your life has and will always be God's greatest pursuit. And there is a God who loves you so much that every day he searches the horizon for those who have walked away and said, man, I just hope today's the day they want to come back home. And when they make that choice, they're not met with judgment. They're not met with fear. They're not met with disappointment. They're met with a God who wraps his arms around them, puts on a robe and a ring, has a party to say, hey, listen, I know, I know you've made some mistakes. I know you've made some decisions that you feel like have made you unworthy to come back. I just want you to know I'm so glad you're here. We're going to throw a party in your honor. That is the heart of God. And Jesus says, listen, this is so important. I need you to know who God is. Because sometimes the God that you portray is not the God I know. That's the point that Jesus begins to share. 
And he begins to tell this over. He goes, this is so important. Let me, let me illustrate this. I want you to get this. And so he tells one story. Then he tells another story. Then he tells another story. He's like, I, I just, I need you to understand who my father is. I need you to understand who God's heart is. That this has been true from the very beginning of creation. And this is the sole purpose why Jesus came to this earth and why he died on a cross for us. And it's why the church was born. Right, but here's the thing. Jesus continues this story and he ends it with a warning message. All right, look what he says as he keeps going. In verse 15, he says, meanwhile, right? The kid came home, the whole party's going on. Everybody's excited. The father's pumped that his kid came back, squandered his inheritance. I'm sure he was going, ah, wish you would have made better choices. But you know what? We're back. I'm glad that you're here. They're having this huge party. He says, meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. And so he called to one of the servants and he asked him, what's going on? Your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fatted calf because he was, has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out. Now listen, look at this. The father went to him. Even in the midst of his frustration and anger and misguided heart, God pursued him. So the father went out and he pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and I never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him? My son, the father said, you were always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Here's a story that we have probably heard time and time and time again. And I think sometimes we can overlook what Jesus was trying to communicate. What he's saying to the one that was lost was, hey, listen, you're never too far gone for God. In fact, I want this image of God in your head. He tells the crowd, I want you to see a dad who runs out to the edge of the property every day, searching the horizon, thinking maybe this is the day. Maybe this is the day he'll come to his senses, that he'll realize that this is where he needs to be. He's telling the one, you're never too far gone for God. But he's also reminding the 99, hey, listen, if you're not careful, your heart will become hardened and it will turn inward. And he uses the brother to show us what happens when we lose sight of just how important the lost is to God. He shows us that when we lose sight of the loss, it causes our hearts to get hardened. And oftentimes we start looking inward. Right? Think about it in your life, in my life, in the life of our church. How many times have you been in seasons where you go, well, God, that's just not fair. I've been doing everything. I've been trying to be faithful and yet they're doing whatever they want. And it seems like their life is blessed. Like that just doesn't make any sense. Or we get to that point where we're going, I, I just don't understand. Why isn't the church doing more for me? How come we're not doing it this way? I like when we do it that way. How come we're not doing it this way? You see, what Jesus is saying is that is a really great indication that you're starting to lose sight of how important the loss should be in your life and in the life of the church. See, what Jesus was teaching us right here was that the way that we keep our hearts from drifting and becoming like the older brother is by always seeing the loss through the eyes of God and making them a priority in our life. 
It's kind of Jesus' nice way of saying this, saying, hey, listen, this, this is the way of God. Never lose sight that you exist, that this church exists to help people find and follow God. Right? So make no mistake, this was the design of God, modeled for us by Jesus and the purpose for creation for the church. It's what shaped how we accomplished the Great Commission and how we as a church are to jump on and to help accomplish the Great Commission. You could say it this way, the, the Great Commission, right, that is driven by God's unrelenting pursuit of that which is lost is why we as a church create spaces for God to connect with you and with others in a life-changing way. It's why we create space so that we can kind of grow in our faith together, but ultimately so that we can live on mission, so that we get a heart to say, okay, now I need to go out and find the one. I need to go find the one that is lost and go, man, how do I put my life in their life and allow them to experience what I've experienced, right? If this evangelistic spirit is not the outcome of your discipleship, you're missing out on what Jesus came to do and what he established in the heart of the church. So you could say it this way. If you're new to Heritage Church, maybe you're just kind of start of the year. You're like, all right, this year is going to be different. I need to start getting back to church. Let me just tell you about who we are. This is a place that will never, never stop reaching the lost and making more disciples. We are not about the already convinced. We're about both. About creating space for people who don't know Jesus so they can find and follow God. And we're going to grow in that process together. And the byproduct should be more and more people get added to the kingdom every day. And the reason we know this is true is because as you go past the Gospels, the very first book of the New Testament beyond the Gospels, the life and the teaching of Jesus, is a Bible book called the Book of Acts. The Book of Acts is how the church was established. It records the acts of the apostles. And in the Book of Acts, it begins to say, hey, here's the model. This is how a healthy biblical church should reach the lost by fulfilling the Great Commission. And so the book of Acts is a blueprint. It's a blueprint, and it has been a blueprint for churches for the last 2,000 years. And I want you to see how this was established, because we see it from the very beginning of creation, God's heart to reach the lost. We see it culminating in Jesus, not just coming to this earth, but dying on the cross so that the lost could come to God. And then we see the next phase where God launches the church, right? That's what Matthew 28 was, was God saying, hey, hey, I want you to go. I want you to go and reach the lost, right? The church was born on the Great Commission. And so we get to the book of Acts, and it records what they did after Jesus gave them the Great Commission. The writer tells about the apostle Peter, where he gives this incredibly confident message, where he shares God's purpose in sending Jesus, that Jesus came to bring people to God. And he tells the story of Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, the reason Jesus came. He reminds people that this is who you were, but Jesus wants to change that, that you can have purpose and life. And all of a sudden, people started to be moved in their heart. In fact, the scripture says that over 3,000 people made a decision from that day forward to say, you know what, from here on out, I'm gonna follow this Jesus that you're speaking of. And all of a sudden, the church was born. And out of that, in the next couple of verses, we see the biblical model for how the church was designed to function. And in Acts chapter 2, let me just show it to you. I'm going to read a couple of verses as we kind of wrap this up this morning. Here's what I want you to see. Peter begins to communicate this, and over these next few verses, we see the function of the church, the blueprint 
for a church that's going to fulfill the Great Commission, it's this. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. It meant that there was unity. There was alignment that, hey, this life of ours, it's actually about something bigger than just us. Like this is what Jesus was teaching us. And we all agree with that. We're all on mission for that. We're going to spread this message to as many people as we can encounter, right? That's what's taking place. And it says they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Here's what I want you to see. Right here, we see God's model for how the church is to function and to fulfill the Great Commission. Right? The Apostle Peter was doing exactly what Jesus commanded him to do, and this is what launched the church. And so in these six verses that we just read, in these six verses, we see how important it is that we have life-changing gatherings together where we create space just like this in the room, online, in our homes, where we create space for people who are brand new to this whole God thing. They may not be followers of Christ. They may have some questions, some doubts, some struggles. We, we create space where people like them can come and they can meet people like you who have a relationship with God. And together we begin to sing. We begin to learn God's word together. We begin to hang out together. We begin to understand the teachings of Jesus in a way that helps us put the Bible into practice so that we can grow in our faith, right? It says that they gathered in the temple courts. They did this every day. They gathered together and the temple courts was this huge place where they would come and they would have food and they would have fellowship. They would play games. It was an all day event sometimes. It was like a tailgate party at church every time. Because at that point in time, there was a place called the Holy of Holies, and, and this was in the outer courts, and people could come, and there would be singing, there would be sacrifice, there would be prayer, there would be conversations together. They were saying, we know how important it is that we do life together in community, that we come together in a specific time, in a specific place, where we prioritize what it means to learn together, to sing songs, to worship, to learn God's word in a way that means something to our hearts. Right? But then he says it, it's also important that we learn that we never have to do life alone, that you were never designed to have to figure this out on your own. So it says they gathered house to house. Right? They would spend time together. They would share their life together. They would raise their kids together. Right? What Jesus or what the apostle Peter was explaining this or the writer of the uh, book of Acts was saying is that we started to come to the conclusion that that one of the things that needs to happen, if we're actually gonna keep living out this faith that Jesus has called us to, is we've got to gather together in community where we can intentionally learn how to grow in our faith, how we can take some next steps. We can learn what it means to live fully surrendered lives. And, and listen, you do life with people long enough and you understand it can get messy in a hurry. Sometimes people don't think like you. They don't vote like you. They don't care about the same things that you care about. That happened in the early church as well but they were realizing there has to be something bigger that unites us and we need that to be the priority. So let's make sure that we keep gathering together. Let's share life together. And the result of all of this 
was that they started living lives on mission. The kind of lives that live for something greater than themselves. They started using their gifts, their talents, their resources to meet the needs of those in that community, those that they were doing life around. They started to realize that, hey, if this Jesus has changed our life, but we're not doing anything to help change the lives of others around us, then man, we're missing out on what God has called and created us to do. It's a really simple, simple model that has made an eternal difference in people's lives for generations. We've kind of adopted this as we've structured Heritage Church. We call it the Great Commission Engine. We put a graphic together. I want to show it to you. It's a really simple thing. It just It's an easy strategy to realize this isn't anything new. This isn't anything sticky. This was just what the Bible says. That in order for us to live the kind of lives that are fulfilling, that that live on mission, if we're going to fulfill the Great Commission, then we've got to do what Jesus called and commanded the church to do, to go and to find and to help people follow after God. And that's going to require us prioritizing some things gathering together in the temple courts, gathering together house to house, living life on mission. And each of these things, they're equally important. You can't have one without the other if you wanna have a healthy functioning biblical community. And so this is what we're gonna talk about. In fact, over the next couple of weeks, we're gonna dive into each one of these a little bit deeper and just take a look at God's design for the church. And here's why this is important. We live in a culture right now that is on a full on attack at trying to dismantle the things that are of value to God. And we need to know who God is, his real heart, not some interpretation given to you by a pastor on a stage. You need to read God's word for yourself. You need to get to know the God of the Bible so that when we gather together, it's an affirmation of those things. But we need to start to know exactly who God is and who God designed his church to be because we're going to need to continue on that path as we move throughout this culture. And if we're unsure, if we're unwavering on who God called us to be as a church, if we're unwavering on God's character or his mindset or the way God's heart is portrayed, then we are going to miss out on what God is wanting to do in and through the kingdom of God in this season. It doesn't take long to look around this world and this community to go, man, there feels like there's a lot of things up for grabs in people's life right now. And I don't pretend to have all the answers by any means. I don't think Heritage Church has all of the answers for helping people have a great and a better life. Here's what I do know. That answer begins with Jesus, though. That's where it begins. It begins for all of us. And finding that, understanding that. And this is what I want you to understand. This design for the church, don't miss this. It was always designed for the one. It was always designed for the one. Right? And here's why this is so important. Jesus knew this would be the greatest way to help us experience heaven on earth. Was that when you and I could have eyes to see and a heart for the lost. Right? This is why it's called the Great Commission. Jesus knew that when you start to get a burden for someone who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, it changes the way you see things. It changes your priorities in life. It changes your expectations of the church. You start to see things through a completely different lens. So make no mistake, from the very beginning of creation, God's heart was about pursuing the one that was lost. Jesus modeled that for us and said, hey, if you're gonna be known as a follower of Christ, you too need to live a life that chases after the lost. 
and the church is gonna be built upon that foundation. That we're gonna gather together, we're gonna go to the temple courts, we're gonna meet house to house, we're gonna hopefully live in a way that, that takes what God is doing and makes a difference in the lives around us. But make no mistake, it's going to be done through the eyes of people who don't yet know Jesus. The one is what it's all about. So here's, here's my challenge for you. Who is your one? Who's your one? Based on the history of scripture, there is someone in your life, in your neighborhood, in your workplace that God has put there. That they don't know Jesus. And my prayer over today or over these next few weeks is that God would bring that picture, that, that person to your heart. Maybe it's a sister. Maybe it's a friend. But there is something in you that goes, God, my heart is breaking and burdened for them. And you begin to see life through their eyes. I want us to begin praying that God will give us a burden for our one. Because when we have a vision for the one, the way we see things changes. Life isn't about us. Church and how we do things isn't about us. Our jobs become more than just something we have to do and endure. It has this unique purpose to it now. Right? And make no mistake, if you're sitting here today in this room, if you're watching this online, you are here today because someone created space in their life. Space in this place for you to meet Jesus. You were once the one. Now you get to go and find the others. And man, the scripture says that when we take on that mindset, when we start looking at things through that perspective, all of heaven begins to rejoice. When we start to see people who were once lost now be found. So here's what my prayer for us is. I wanna encourage you, find that person. Put it in your mind, write it down, put it in the margins of scripture. Go to Matthew 28 in your Bible, go to Luke 15, and I want you to write some names on those passages of scripture. Begin to pray for them. Invite them to come to sit with you on a Sunday. Share your story with them. Help them discover how much God loves them and has a purpose and a plan for their life. So here's how we're going to wrap up today. I want you to know that, that we believe that everything begins with Jesus, that that's where it starts for every single one of us. And maybe, maybe you're here and for the first time, or maybe for the first time in a long time, you're hearing that you are worth saving, that you are worth sacrificing for, that you are worth tearing the house apart for and scanning the horizon for. That there is a God who never stops looking for you and inviting you to come home. And maybe you've never been told that there is a God that loves you so much that he was willing to die for you, no matter what you've done. Because every single one of us, we've all messed up. And those of us who have chosen to surrender our life to God, we have, we have chosen this because we know doing life on our terms, it always leaves us empty and longing for more. This is why God sent Jesus to rescue us, to, to forgive us, to heal us, to give us new life filled with purpose and hope. And if you've never stopped to surrender your life to Jesus, or maybe you have, but man, you've, you've drifted. You've been doing life on your terms. You've made some decisions that you feel like disqualifies you from ever being invited back to God's home. I just want you to know that you can change that with a prayer right now. That there is a God who loves you no matter what you've done. 
that is always scanning the horizon to welcome you back home. And when you get the chance to surrender your life to Jesus, you can spend the rest of your days saying, I want others to have what I was just able to have. So here's what we're gonna do. If you've never stopped to surrender your life to Jesus, or maybe you have, but you know in your heart you've kind of drifted, I wanna invite you to pray this prayer with me right now. No matter where you're at, if you're here in the room, if you're watching online, would you just take a minute and just bow your head, close your eyes. You can kind of pray this with me or you can repeat this prayer after me. Just in your own way, say, God, I, I know that I have missed the mark in a lot of ways. God, I have chosen to do life on my terms and I am asking you to forgive me. I wanna surrender my whole life to you. So God, I, I am inviting you to sit on the throne of my heart and I wanna spend the rest of my days living fully devoted to you. In Jesus' name, amen.